God bless America, because this is DG Chichester, and you are listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. Greetings, Cap fans. Welcome to episode 144 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I'm your host, this is Rick Verbanis, and as always, I am joined by the best gosh darn co-host out there. That is Mr. Bob Lucius. Oh, Bob, as far as you and I as a team, you can forget it. This ought to prove I mean business when I say from now on, Rick fights alone. So let's just shake and say it's been a gag. I owe you a lot. But now I have to get into my own bag. Dig? <laughs> I have no idea what you're going on about, Rick. <laughs> no? No. No, that that that's the Falcon talking to talking to Steve Rogers, oh, Captain America. Right. I, saying, was thinking, I was I was like, man, that sounds like the Falcon, but it's gotta be from a movie. No, no, totally. Oh, all yeah. right. All right. Dig. Yeah. Yeah. Do you dig? Yeah. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Yeah, no that uh that is that is the Falcon breaking up with Captain America. Now I know, I know you kind of felt like, oh, okay, maybe Rick's breaking up with me because especially after we when you know we had James Foley on a few episodes ago, we were kind of talking about having uh you know a little bit of a <laughs> you know audition for a new host, yeah, right? Yeah, new co-host, I should new say. Co-host, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, no, I would never do we that. We should do to you, that. Bob. That would be great. That'd be great to see. I would never do that. But um, yeah, that is uh, that's the Falcon breaking up with Cap. But uh, guess guess what issue of Captain America that's from? Oh my God! I, I know. I I, I can't. Rem- I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'm just gonna tell you, Bob, because yeah, you're do, not gonna please. get it. Yeah, yeah. It's issue 144. Uh, I was gonna say 148. Yeah, well, were you? Okay. <laughs> At some yeah. point. I had to tie it in with episode 144, issue 144. All right. All right. right? It's actually also, this is, this, you could say it's a key issue, Bob, because during that conversation that he was having with uh, with Steve, he goes behind uh, this little area. He changes out of his uniform into his brand new red and white Falcon uniform. Because before that, it was the green uniform. Yeah, yeah. Right? This, during that conversation, was he breaking into his red and white uniform? Is it into introduction? Kind of, I don't know. Is that a little bit of a, a minor key? What do you think? I think so. I think it should be at least. Yeah. Yeah. Rick, I, I can't get the audition thing out of my head. I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about, you know, those SNL skits where they have like, like the different, Bit oh, play. movies when they have yeah, like, different and, actors like yeah, trying out for trying out for like for Star Wars roles. or something. Oh yeah, like or something like yeah, that. Right? Christopher think, Walken. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. how how cool would that be? We should have uh, we should have a, a bunch of different uh, Marvel characters, Captain America characters, trying out to be your new co-hosts. Oh, I love that! <laughs> I love that. Actually, you know what? Here's the funny thing. I I love the character idea. I don't, I don't know who we'd get to do that, but. We should totally every time we have a nightcap guest on, we should we should do like a a little little mock you know mock 
uh, you know, be the co-host with Rick. Right. Yeah. Right. Give him a, give him a shot at fame. Yeah, exactly. Right. Is that what you have, Bob? Do you, do you have fame? Oh, I do. Fame. I want to live, live forever. forever. <laughs> Baby, I remember my name forever. Fame. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, how's your week going, Bob? Rick, this has been a tough week, man. Oh, uh, no. I, I haven't talked to you since last Tuesday, but on Friday, yeah. Thursday night, uh-huh. I'm on my way home. I stopped grocery store get some pizza dough gonna go home gonna make, make gonna make a breakfast pizza are you, for the are you gonna do make a little dough boy yeah right we're making a little dough boy figure right go in come out car won't start oh no yeah but everything's working lights radio everything's good car won't start okay so, so like, the, the the power's working but the engine's yeah. not turned i'm like well maybe it's not maybe the battery's a little low or something so i, I go home how uber, do you get home uber oh that sucks uh wait for my wife to get home take her car go back i got one of those little battery packs you have one of those oh yeah i do yeah they're yeah. awesome right yeah awesome. it's like you know yeah uh, i keep one in my car i don't keep it in somebody else's car just yeah. fyi yeah well i don't keep it in my car because it gets so dang hot down here that i'm afraid it'll blow up <laughs> so i go home i get it it doesn't work right so the next morning i'm like all right no problem 8 8 15 i i i uber Mm-hmm. back over to the grocery store and I call AAA because I, you know, I got AAA, I had AAA for years. Oh, I saw this on Facebook about AAA. Yeah. yeah it took Seven forever. and a half hours. That's ridiculous. They come. Right? No. Yeah. Seven and a half hours. Uh, but I, and I can't go home cause I don't know when they're coming. So exactly. I'm, I sat on like a bench out front of the grocery store uh, for seven and a half hours with my notebook, taking notes for work. Right. So uh-huh. I finally get the car towed. You weren't doing at, research for the podcast? Uh, oh, sure I was, yeah. Uh-huh. And then on uh, they can't look at it on Friday. They look at it on Monday. Monday, they look at it. I don't hear all day. Call them. They said, oh, I think it's uh-huh. something on the on the gear shift, a little solenoid, you know, stock, you know, shift solenoid, $25 part. No big deal. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, okay, okay, that's yeah. good. $500. Uh, Today, yeah. I call. <laughs> uh, like, oh, yeah, it was a little, something a little different. And it was... Uh, $2,800. What? $2,800. And it's a, it's a, it's a known problem with the, uh, it's a 2009 Nissan Altima. They had a recall that ended in 2020. Uh, yeah. And, and, dude, and it's just, dude, you just, you went over a thousand times the original estimate. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then they saw some other things. Well, no, a hundred times. Sorry. They times. saw some other stuff that was no. wrong. So, I mean, if I got everything, it would be like $3,400. I'm like, uh-uh-uh. So I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm going to, you know, it's a 2009. It's got 120,000 miles on it, you know. Um, How many miles? 120. That's not a lot. Well, it, you know, it's not a 2009. No, d- dude, I have a 2007 I'm driving. All right, well. Of course, well, my car is also in the shop, so. <laughs> <laughs> so today... You know, but I, I, you know, cars are so even used cars are so expensive now. Yeah, really I, I cannot bring myself to like buy a car because mm-hmm. I think about all the stuff I could buy mm-hmm. <laughs> if somebody would just give me that money. <laughs> all, all the collectibles you could buy. Exactly right, and I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm not going to get anything. I'm, for I'm like, years. I'm like, I could buy a really cool piece of art. Exactly right. I'm like trying to find a way to like. How can I magically make this fix happen? 
Mm-hmm. But I know that like, even if I put that, tw- it'd be something else you know, a month from now. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm looking at cars and, and then I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to wait, 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 wait. This is the, I thought you had a Jeep. I don't have a Jeep. I thought you had like some sort of, no, no. When I got you that Christmas gift a few years ago with the, uh-huh. the light on the Captain America shield on the yeah. door, you're like, oh, I'm going to wait till I get my new car to put that on. Which, which I'm new car? Waiting, we... man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> are you freaking kidding me? I'm not kidding you. Oh my God. You are the worst. I've been thinking about this for years. You are getting the a new vehicle. worst. <laughs> you're like, oh no. It's a Captain America collectible. I can't take it out of the well, box. There's that too, but right? Uh, is that what we're dealing with here? No. As soon as I get a car, I'll put. I'm not gonna put it on my 2009 Nissan Altima. Why not? Because where do I, I park on a dirt road. And that's the other thing is I I work on a dirt road. It's like three miles on a dirt road one way, right? So I'm like, what kind of car am I going? My wife's like, oh, you should like get a blah blah Jeep? blah blah blah, and I'm like. I, and I'm going to drive it like six miles dirt road every day. No, I don't want to do that. So. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't want to. Yeah, so, anyway, yeah. Anyway. So, you know, where's the last place you should put the title for a car? Last one. Uh, well, certainly in the car. Yeah, exactly. Right? So that, today that would I'm be a bad the, idea. I'm looking for the title and I'm like, where the hell is the title? You know, because that car is in her name and her car is in my name. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was her car. I had an Xterra. We got rid of the car. She bought this new car. She drives that one. I got her mm-hmm. old car. I'm like, honey, where's the, where's the title? And she's like, oh, I think it's in the glove box. <laughs> I'm like, uh-huh. at the shop. Right. Cause I want to like set up this, like to get it uh, hauled away and get like a thousand bucks in uh-huh, cash, you know, uh-huh. so I don't have to get it fixed. I can just get it money for parts or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Now I got to drive over there. Uh-huh. So I go to get a rental car today and I, I want like a compact because I uh-huh. have, I don't have any problem with my male ego and a compact is fine and mm-hmm. it's easy to park. And you are all out. great in a Prius. Yes. And they're all out. So what do they give me? A Ram 1500 pickup truck. <laughs> so it's like a, a big boat, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Driving down Absolutely. Yeah. When, did you try the horn? You had to try the I horn. I haven't right? tried the horn. Yet. Oh, no. come on. No. No? Yeah. I'm sure it's like I got like a general lead. Whatever. Right. Yeah. Like that southern horn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That you sent me there. I appreciate that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. On yeah, Facebook? Like yeah. yeah. Yeah, That was nice. Oh, bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> Could you just move over a touch? Just a touch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, I'm sorry you're having that kind of week, Bob. Yeah. But uh, but we're here to talk about Captain America. Oh, That's right. always something to cheer people up, right? It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And this is going to be a good show tonight. I'm excited about tonight. Oh yeah, we yeah, we do have uh we do have uh Dan or should we call him DG Chichester uh, mm-hmm. on the show tonight, uh which is great because um you know he's a, a prolific writer from the 1990s. Uh, he wrote, you know, over 200 different stories uh and had a four-year run on Daredevil, but he he also um you know, wrote some Captain America and so we absolutely looking forward to talking to him about that tonight yeah he he has a lot of detail 
in his writing. And of course, you know, mm-hmm. he, he wrote a lot with Margaret Clark, but a lot of just like topical details, little hidden stuff, you know, little references, pop culture references. It's going to be fun to talk to him about some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so before we get to that, though, um, let's just take a look and see if there are any uh, comic book industry professional birthdays coming up. Now, this particular episode, um, I'm not sure when it's going to air because uh, the Blood and Glory kind of ran an extra week there. So, uh John Byrne had a birthday on July 6th. John Byrne? That name sounds familiar. Yeah, you might have heard of him. He uh <laughs> he did a few comics here and there. Here and there. Yeah. yeah just a just a few. Yeah. Just a few. Uh big fan of John Byrne. I always felt like he drew the standard for what the character was supposed to look like. And then all the others artists kind of like wow. compare up to him. That's high praise. It is like, yeah. you know, when he did like the, the faces uh, up in the icon box, you know, on the cover, you know, whether the Avengers faces or fantastic four or the X-Men, you know, all the major groups, right. In, in Marvel, um, you know, it, whatever that face looked like, it was like, that's the standard hmm. you know um so always a huge john john Byrne fan and 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 this this year was uh the first time i actually got myself some john Byrne art um i got uh a couple pages so i'm i'm really blessed that way and very excited and always looking for more you know mm-hmm. you know you know as collectors we're never satisfied right um and then birthday uh on july 13th is Tom Palmer. Now, Tom Palmer um, is a uh, prolific artist in the, um, you know, done a lot of inking over the years. Man, he he actually has worked on, I'm just looking it up now, but over 800 different stories since, wow. uh, you know, he, since, the the late 1960s um uh all the way up to uh not too long ago in 2020 i mean what a career that the man's a legend uh happy birthday mr palmer happy birthday yeah oh bob you know that contest we had uh as far as um giving away the the, the taco bell captain america exclusive collector's edition Yo quiero Taco Bell. Yes. Yeah, of uh, That particular comic. Yeah, yeah, we said that if we get uh, the next three reviews that yeah. we get on Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star review, one of those three will actually win this comic. Well, we just got our, our third of those three. And uh, do you want me to we go ahead and read it to you? Oh, I do. I do. All right. This one is from... D dog one twenty three. D dog one twenty three. All right, one twenty three. Yeah. Now it it could be just D dog one two three. Yeah. I but I don't know. It's hard to believe there were one hundred and twenty two other D dogs. Yeah. 
Is it is it hard to believe? I mean, come on, at this point, (laughs) at this point, right? I mean, the internet's been around for a little bit now. No, I, I, uh, my first Xbox name, the one of my son still is Ultimate Mega Three Four (laughs) Zero. So there are 339 ultimate megas before. Is, is that how that worked? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So excellent. Well, that's great that your son's carrying that that legacy. All right. So this one's titled They Can Do This All Day. And sometimes we do. Yeah. Uh, I got that reference. <laughs> yeah. All right. So here is D Dog123. He says, or she says, they say, I was part of the Captain America comic book fans Facebook page and started to notice these podcasts put out by Rick and Bob. I didn't think much of it until I had a long road trip coming up and thought I'd try this out. Wow. I thought I was a cat buff, but these guys make it me look like a piker. The knowledge and depth they present from week to week is amazing but the humor and camaraderie between the two is what makes the show i picture rick on the motorcycle and bob in the sidecar <laughs> cruising down the road like a, like a basset hound <laughs> enjoying american culture through the eyes of our favorite marvel hero listen now what are you waiting for Wow, what are you waiting for? I'm I'm picturing you in the sidecar yeah. with the with the goggles. Oh yeah, with my ears flapping in the wind. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, that is so cool. Thank you. I used you. to have a motorcycle with a sidecar. So with the sidecar. I knew you had a motorcycle. I didn't I know did. you had a sidecar. I did when I lived in, in, in Vietnam. Yeah. Oh. So and yeah. and so you had about 18 people on it? Yeah, that's right. My wife would not ride in it. No, uh, so it's because she knew what kind of driver you were. Pretty much, and it was just taking your life into your hand every time you went out on the on the road there. Uh-huh. So, but yeah, good times. So I would definitely jump into your sidecar, Rick. Oh, that's, that's really so, sweet. Yeah, that's really sweet. No, I I uh, thank you, D Dog One Two Three. We appreciate that. Now, ne- come back next episode because we will we will do a random drawing of one of these three to win this contest. Yep. All right. Wow, that's awesome. excellent. Bob, you know what? Uh, DG Chichester has been waiting pretty long in the, in the green room. Should we bring him on? Uh, all right. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our guest today started his comic career as an editor in the mid-1980s, started writing in late 1980s, but quickly became a prolific writer in the 90s, writing several long runs for Marvel, including Nick Fury, Elektra, Night Stalkers, and more. He may be best known for his four-year run on Daredevil, which included classic stories such as Fall of the Kingpin and Fall from Grace. For Cap fans, you may know him for writing the Cap Annual number 10, as well as the three-part prestige series, 
Punisher, Captain America, Blood and Glory. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. It's a, a thrill to be here, um, both just to talk comics in general, Captain America specifically, and one of my favorite series, which is Blood and Glory. So um, it never got quite the attention I wanted to back in the day. So we're going to give it to it right now. Exactly. Yeah, you came to the right place. Uh, and so let's just talk a little bit about your career. So you spent the last 20 plus years in marketing. Uh, recently, you were the chief experience officer for an advertising agency that, that specializes in healthcare. But more recently, um, you've been doing freelance marketing, writing and creative and strategic consulting. But prior to that, you spent 15 years in the comic industry as editor and writer. Now you're returning to comics after a long hiatus, and we certainly want to get to that later in the show. But let's talk about the beginning of your career. So mm -hmm. you were a student at NYU studying studying filmmaking, and you, you land a job at Marvel as an assistant to the assistant of editor-in-chief Jim Shooter. Uh, by the way, we had yeah. Jim on the show, which was, he's a great guy. He is. How did you and, get and that, that role? That's an important distinction, the assistant to the assistant, too. Yes. Uh, how did I get that role? What um, did it entail, too? I, 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 I'm I, curious. Well, well, making films at NYU, at least at that point, and probably still at any film school, um, they gave you a certain amount of supplies, which was barely enough to load the camera. After that, you're kind of on your own. Uh, so I burned through what they gave me, and then I borrowed more money from my parents than I was already borrowing to go to school. And ran through everything, made my student film, um, uh, which got me nowhere. But uh, <laughs> what was it but, about? Uh, it was um, it was actually an adaptation of a story that was in Twilight Zone magazine, uh, which was called um, "Wanna Bet," and it was a it was a twisted little, uh, tight little tale uh, about a, a kid who's uh, uh, going through the uh, the old. Uh, uh, you know, kid insults back and forth, you know, you know, step on a crack, break your mother's back, these sort of things. And in classic, quote unquote, Twilight Zone fashion, uh, they come true. You know, it turns out that ah. this kid has the power to make these things come true. And it was just a tight little one page story. And I thought it was so great and had such a little uh, twist to it. It felt like it would it would make a, a neat little genre genre sort of film. Uh, so put my money uh, into it and um, and it took me the better part of 20 odd years after that to actually get around to editing it. But we made the film, uh, you know, successfully brought a crew together and did that. But it, you're left with really nothing in the bank. You've, you've invested mm. all of your extra money to buy the footage and and process the film. These are back in the days when processing film was a thing and um, had run through everything, didn't want to go borrow more from my parents who were already been quite generous and went to the student employment office and amongst all the other things up on the wall typist at marvel comics ah, <laughs> so I'm, right. I'm like i'm i'm you know, i'm in the screenwriting program i type really fast um i had read comics religiously up to the point i was about 13 or 14 and then for reasons i really couldn't tell you why sort of stopped cold but in my brain, it it said, well, geez, I kind of know these characters, don't I? And, uh, you know, this sounds like this could be just a good, easy way to make a couple of bucks in an interesting environment. If you're going to type somewhere, you may as well type Marvel Comics, right? Right. So I went up there, and it was actually in the foreign um, licensing division. And I walked in, and I started the interview, and somebody else came in and said, geez, yeah, we just gave that job to so-and-so. And... -so. and 
but the interview was going well enough, I guess, that the guy I was interviewing with was, well, you seem like you've got your head in your shoulders. Lynn Cohen, who is Jim Shooter's assistant, is looking for somebody. Is looking for her, an assistant to herself. Um, why don't you go down and talk to her? I was a warm body, probably, and Lynn would have taken anybody. But hopefully, maybe <laughs> there was a little bit more to that. Uh, and um, and so I landed the job, you know, even with all my caveats around it, because the uh-huh. typist job was was um, very flexible or sounded like it was going to be very flexible to be the assistant to the assistant to the editor in chief was going to be a lot more demanding. But I said, I still have classes. You know, I'm, I'm still my my schedule is is not 100 percent here. Are you are you OK with that? And so she was. So I would do classes mostly in the mornings and then come up there in the afternoon. And the job was a little bit of everything. It was it was it was amazing in the sense that I was literally at the center of everything. You're outside of Shooter's office, so you're hearing. I'm going to do my bad Jim Shooter impression. You know, uh, <laughs> it's very deep voice. Oh, let's hear it. We want to hear it. Oh, that was about it, bro. Jim oh. Shooter. You know, that's um, oh, okay. that's about as, as good as I can do. Um, so you're hearing him uh, go on 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 things, give advice, be funny, um, but you're doing everything from art returns uh to artists uh to uh, answering the phone when kids from tennessee call up wanting to know who can beat who you know there's a kid who would literally <laughs> call every day at 3 30 uh can spider-man beat the hulk can the hulk beat thor can thor beat every day it was somebody different you know it was before you had you know wikipedia or, or google i guess i was the guy and so i'd make the stuff up on the spot to the point that uh, people would know this kid was going to call at 3.30 and they'd sort of congregate around the desk, you know, waiting for him to call. We put it on speakerphone and and answer the kid's, you know, call. Uh, it must have been hell on long distance. Um, you know, if if Shooter needed something weird uh, around town, one point, uh, Jack Abel, who's a well-known inker uh, and talent, he wanted to get him a stuffed toy turkey. Um, so it was like, Dan, go find a stuffed toy turkey, you know, <laughs> it would be, and I would have to go out in the streets of New York again, before you could sort of just jump on Google and know that store X has it. And I'd have to go around to gag shops and things and find a, a stuffed toy turkey to bring back to the office. Um, a uh, lot of, um, uh, you know, art submissions. I would, I would, I was semi in charge of that on certain days people sending in their samples, mostly sending them no prizes or no thanks, you know, mm-hmm. letters, uh, evaluating it from there. Um, and then um, every now and again, something a little bit more uh, creative or editorial in nature, uh, most famously for me at least, was uh, Bernie Wrightson was doing a, a Spider-Man graphic novel uh, called Hooky, which mm. was kind of an unusual thing for, yeah. you remember that one? And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That was a, wasn't that like a, it was a graphic novel that was kind of like an oversized kind yeah, of graphic novel. Yeah, it was one novel. of the one of the one of the fir- first contracted, but maybe one of the last printed of that certain type of graphic novel size. Yeah, a little bit larger. Yeah, right, like around the and, same size as like uh, the you know X Men uh, God Loves Man Kills. Exactly, it was part of yeah. the same initial. That that's kind of where the term graphic novel came out of was those. Mm-hmm those particular ones but i was doing uh pagination and uh and some um uh, uh you know a page numbering and that sort of thing on it very rudimentary stuff um and that always stood stood out my mind because it was just part of my job but um 
when I left the company at the end of the semester and went back home for the summer, um, uh, Jim Shooter was nice enough to actually uh, send me a, a payment for doing that extra work, even though it wasn't extra work, uh, which really always impressed me, you know, that he went to the, the time and trouble to to kind of write a voucher out, you know, for me for, a, mm -hmm. you know, a fee, which was only a couple hundred bucks. But in that at that time, it was a couple hundred bucks to a college kid. And it was wow. Right. Um, so um, so it was a little bit of, of everything, you know, and if Lynn needed to the desks watched or washed, <laughs> you know, somewhere in between there. I was I was the guy. And um, so uh, I got to meet pretty much everybody because everybody was coming in to see Jim Shooter or I was being sent to every corner of the office to take stuff around and get signed or get approved or or followed up on. Um, I didn't hardly know what I was doing and was terribly insecure uh, about most of it. But uh, it was a great central place to uh, to be and have a have a first gig at. And, and this how did this lead into you getting an editorial role? Well, I went home. I went home at the end of the semester, which was unimaginable to everybody. You're leaving? What? You're, you're, what do you mean you're leaving? You can't possibly be leaving. Not because I was so great, but just simply because nobody gets a job at Marvel and then and then leaves. Mm -hmm. But I had um, already uh, committed to a summer job um, uh, back in Connecticut and... Uh, that was frankly paying a lot more as well uh, than than the Marvel gig was, and so I I went and and just took that job. And about three quarters of the way through the summer, I got a call from uh, from Joe Duffy uh, in the um, in the Epic department. Now I hadn't had much interaction with the Epic Comics department, which was the creator owned uh, mm -hmm. imprint at that point in time. And uh, but she said, um, well. You know, we sort of remember you coming around. <laughs> uh, you, you, we heard really good things about you. Uh, we need an, we need an assistant. Uh, some, you know, for the for the department. Would you be interested? And I was um, uh, flattered, flabbergasted, and uh, but also I had to give her the same caveats. I said, I, I have one more semester. My schedule will be, you know, uh, uh, intermittent. Uh, but, uh, she was all for it. And to me, it was, it was, my plan was to go into filmmaking, right? I was going to leave. Mm -hmm. I was going to move right to Hollywood. Uh, you'd be talking to, you know, Steven Spielberg, you know, 2.0 right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but, but they were into it. And to me, it was, it was okay. This is a gig and this will be a gig right after I finish school. Cause I was going to graduate early in, in December uh, you know, I'll have something uh, to act as a bridge while I get my act together. And uh, and that was the plan. So I moved into that position and then became an assistant uh, for not only Joe Duffy, but also, um, well, most importantly, Archie Goodwin, who ran the, the group. And Archie mm -hmm. was Archie. So you don't have a better teacher or influence uh, than somebody like that to to really gain um, insight. And and also the fact that Epic was creator owned, I got exposure to a lot more, uh, I think, eclectic titles and a different sort of level of production uh, value based upon the way that they were producing books versus the rest of the Marvel line. So a happy circumstance uh, that worked out pretty well for for me. So you you then left an editing role at Marvel in 1989. And, yes. And so take us through your thinking. At that time, and what did that lead to? 
Well, uh, these are excellent questions. Uh, the I wasn't paid a lot as an editor, right? No, nobody was. In fact, uh, there was some exchange on on Twitter the last couple of days. I don't know people talking about how comics ruined you or hard knocks and comics. I don't know what it is, but um, like Fabian Nicieza was putting up like what his, what his editorial salary was. I don't remember what my editorial salary was. I remember my my assistant editorial salary was twenty one thousand um, dollars, and which even by the standard of of time was nothing to live on. Mm-hmm. in new york city um and everybody supplanted their their or tried to supplant their uh, their salaries with freelance you know which is why you would certainly see a lot of editorial names showing up in in creative credits people wanted to create but some people just had to create to try to supplant their their income with anything from coloring to inking uh and a lot of great people learn their craft that way um, I wanted to be a writer, right? That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I wanted to direct. I wanted to be a writer. This was my my uh, you know my charge in life. I think I was a pretty good editor. I think I became a much better editor over time. And then I had the happy uh, circumstance again to work with really amazing people, from Mark Dematis to uh, um, to uh, Pat Mills on Martial Law, um, really crackerjack writers who I felt intimidated by, but I was also learning by editing them right or trying to kind of steer them in a certain way um so my decision you know came about because i felt um i needed to kind of move into a direction of what i really wanted to do which was write and be my own creative person even though i didn't feel i was necessarily creatively secure enough to do it um but there had also been a big shakeup in the epic department um uh when jim shooter uh was uh forced out left fired whatever Mm -hmm. the the you know the 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 circumstance or story you know you pick up on you know from um there was just a a huge shift and and he had sort of treated epic and archie a certain way without him there epic was perceived less as a a kind of a jewel i would say Mm-hmm. And more, more just as oh, you guys are just doing different books with different characters, and and we're gonna just kind of pull this all in and, and muck it up in it in its own way. Mm-hmm. That's a very jaded way of looking at it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. but it 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 sort of upset the balance of how we sort of perceived ourselves as a group, which may have been too arrogant, and probably was, but it, it made us made us the ones who remained, I think, feel a little less special. And uh, for me, that also sort of pushed me toward, all right, well, if this isn't what I'm going to be part of, then why don't I, again, try and go do more of what I want to do? So I I really just, Mm -hmm. which is writing. And so I really made the decision to, I'm going to go do this. I was young and stupid enough to feel like I, I, I could. Um, but I, I didn't have anything when I decided to do it. <laughs> so when I decided to go freelance, I was saying, well, geez, other people can do it. But I quickly was able to line up a few things by going in and pitching myself. Um, uh, I think most, uh, uh, not easily, but I think the first one was probably the, some of the Clive Barker work I was doing, the Nightbreed book, I think was the first one I was able to go in and pitch myself mm-hmm. on. And, um, and well, I'm, and I'm looking that. at your list here. Mm-hmm. So you have, according to Mike's Amazing World, which is a great mm-hmm. place to, to go and find. Sure. So your first written credit 
which was yes. in 1987, mm-hmm. uh, which was the Justice number 12. And then, then you were doing yes. the Epic line, right? You did Doctor Zero and Powerline and Saint George, Saint George, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And then you 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 did those all the way to um, the end, and then did the Critical Mass, which was that right. Right, that right. miniseries, Ma- big, kind of... big maxi series, right? But right, but those right, right. I was writing while I was still on staff, so so those were okay. and those I was doing with with Margaret Clark. Um, you know, she was my uh, co-writer on those, but those were all uh, co-written with her, as was Blood and Glory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so when I went out on my own, um, that was also a decision to to write on my own. Right. That's okay. I was I was not writing with her any longer. Um, and that's a both a sort of I've got to I've got to learn to do this on my own. And and also that's a financial thing. When I would write with with her, you're splitting the page rate. They're not paying us double page rate. We're mm-hmm. we're getting whatever it is, and then we're having to cut it in half. Um and you know, the decision to work together at that point was initially was based around I didn't feel secure enough in my skill set to do it on my own. Mm-hmm. And she was having a harder time to my memory, um, uh, just cracking through a little bit as, as a woman, uh, I would say, mm-hmm. you, you know, she wasn't getting as much, uh, play or respect, um, as, as she should have for a, a very thoughtful, uh, talented writer. And the feeling was that the combination of the two of us, you know, would allow, allow us to crack through, um, my, my insecurity and, and her, you know, may real or perceived sexism, you know, around that. So, and it, it you know, we started to get some traction, uh, mm-hmm. but then, uh, it, it was really the, the Epic books, the shadow line books, uh, those three series, which was probably the biggest, you know, push, uh, for both of us. And I think also helped us a little bit in terms of profile but for me really helped in terms of just learning the craft like the consistency of that many titles and that many interrelated titles mm-hmm. was was just a way to improve your skill set simply by muscle memory if nothing else so can you take us through how the the two of you worked together when you and margaret um you know did, did one of you do the plot and the other one the scripts or did you or did you combine did you take i'll do this page you do this page how, how did you work together yeah you know we had a we, until until the end which we can talk about in a little bit uh <laughs> um uh you know we had a really great uh working relationship on it and it was a real it it, it was a it was just an open you know discussion of uh, sitting around, you know, the, the table or, or whatever, and and talking out loud uh, what what's going to happen next, and then and then one or the other of us would would type it up. I think very often I'd be typing it up as we were discussing it, but it wasn't like you you know I would go off and do it on my own. We would literally talk through. All right, what happens next? We'd be writing it down, and then we would type up the plot. Uh, structure and then as we would start to do the script because we were mostly working in um, the old school marvel style where you would write a plot first so you'd have Mm -hmm. the incidences you know that might be page one to four this happens page five and six this happens um and then the artist would illustrate that then you would get the artwork back and then you would go through and you would write the script 
So then mm -hmm. when we would get the artwork back, we would go through and you'd have the art there. And then you would say, okay, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Zero's in this panel. What's he going to say? You, you know, what are the captions? And we would just talk it back and forth. And, and yeah, occasionally, you know, we would sit there and mull something. Um, and, you know, so one or the other of us would write something down and then say, what do you think of this? Uh, but it was a very, um, you know, fluid uh, uh, exchange in that way. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, again, I might have typed up more of it as we went along, just because I was a faster typist, right? I was going to have a typist <laughs> job at one point. Uh, and, uh, but uh, yeah, it was a really good exchange of ideas. And, um, and we were generally on the same page, you know, in that, in that back and forth. Um, and we're pretty um, good about calling BS on each other as well, which mm -hmm. cut through the preciousness, you know, around things, you know, that's ah, not going to work. Let's move on. Or that's not working for me. Okay. Well, I'm not going to try to over convince you. We'll find something else. So I, if, if, if it wasn't you and it was Bob talking, this is the part where I would cut in and have a tangent. Okay. Uh, that that's my, my typical thing. So uh, I'm going to apologize in advance, but but you you brought up the whole typing thing, right? And I've been meaning to ever since you said that you know you found the job as a typist. Now, yeah. uh, you and I talked a little off air about you know some similar uh, career paths and things like that. Um, I went to school, and my 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 I was a communication major, but I my goal was to someday write and direct. Mm -hmm. And okay. um, and then when I got out of school. I realized I didn't want to go to Hollywood and be Spielberg 2.0. Uh, mm -hmm. And I didn't want to go uh, work with unions and and things like that. So uh, I, I went the, the marketing route instead. But anyway, um, I my biggest regret, Dan, is I never took a typing class. <laughs> if someone had told me back in the 80s, you would be spending this much time on a keyboard. Right. I totally would have taken a typing class, but here's, here's the, here's the really 80 sexist thing that's coming out. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that, uh, when I had an option in high school to take a typing class, I was like, I'm not going to need that. I'm going to have an assistant. See, 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 I went the other way where we had a typing class in high school. And I said to myself, you know what? I bet you that's an easy a to like boost my grade point average. And over the summer, I taught myself to type by using this old school typing book. Nice. You know, they had this book that you would sort of like literally flip through. And uh -huh. so I spent the whole summer learning how to type so that when I took the typing class, I, I aced it from day one. And so I didn't care that I was maybe the only guy in the class or whatever. I just, right. said, here's an A. It's going to take me nothing at all to do it. I'm sure it was an elective, uh, but it was a, a nice, easy, cheap way to boost the grade point average. And worked out well as the future gave us keyboards. And, and oh such. my God, I, biggest regret. I really wish I took that in school. And I took typing mm -hmm. because yeah. that's where all the girls were. See, <laughs> see. <laughs> he's the middle. That's why course. he's the brains of the group. Right, 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 the brains right. of the group. Yeah. It's the Goldilocks of the group. Yeah, that's it's sort of it. like you know. Oh, you went there and I went here, but this was the sweet spot for that's me. That's it. It's all perfect. Uh, so so. Talking about writing and 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 your time with Margaret and and mm -hmm. how that has progressed and of course you you've been a prolific writer well on your own uh, for mm -hmm. for a lot. Um, I, I've I've heard you talk about when you talk about writing that you like to write in fragments. 
Mm. Can you can you mm. describe to the listeners what that means and 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 how does that result in a finished product? That was such a great question when you sent it to me because and you you clearly did your research and picked up on on that from wherever I mentioned it. Um, you know this newsletter I have, uh, which we'll we'll mention at the end. You know I ended up calling this thing Story Maze. You, you know because it sort of felt like a very I, I kind of named it after this this mental image of of. Um, of I guess how I write and how I think about stories. And I've tried every story um, technique and software over the years, you know, you can imagine, you know, I paid hundreds of dollars, probably thousands of dollars on stupid things, you know, you know, the story engine, Dramatica, you know, this thing or the other thing, you know, where you're supposed to input characters and, and they're going to be combined with um, some Joseph Campbell, you know, format, and <laughs> it's going to output, mm-hmm. you know, hero's journey and saving the cats and stuff. Um, and I respect a lot of them, but I, I've I've also come to realize that uh, when I've worked the best, it's been this sense of allowing a lot of inputs to come in, a lot of things I'll read, a lot of things I'll amass, a lot of influences, quotes, inspirations. Uh, sometimes not even knowing where they're what what good they're going to serve, but if I feed the beast and I you know fuel the mind, as it were, uh, you know what happens as I sit down to to create a freeform story or even a particular assignment story is a couple of things will happen. I, especially when I'm working in comics or for comics is I'll, I, I beat everything out, you know, almost going back to that, that visual filmmaking idea, you know, so I'm seeing shots, I'm seeing moments in time more than I'm seeing maybe a complete story, but I'm seeing it. So it works, you know, I'll know when the sequence of visuals or the sequence of beats doesn't feel right and i'll start crossing things out so that's one type of fragment uh, you know just simply the visual beats and I'll, i will i will go down notepads and all i'll have is you know uh, you know door desk vase and in my mind i know that vase is supposed to fall off the desk and it's supposed to break and and that's kind of my beat sheet to feel that there's a sequence of action or a sequence of emotion or this equals so many panels per page or whatever Mm -hmm. um and very often you know i'll also just be coming up with fragments of of dialogue you know fragments of dialogue and fragments of emotions and scenes that um that i will capture and i will almost find myself then reverse engineering out from there you know what is that what is that line what why is he saying that line or what does that line even mean and then i'll just kind of kind of almost um mind map my way back out from that if you're familiar with mind mapping without formally mind mapping it but almost kind of you know starting with this inspirational line or this uh this this visual scene and then just kind of crafting it back out and it's a lot of um crossing things out and ripping the page out and rewriting it as i recognize i run into a dead end um, but I've also recognized it works pretty well for me. It it ultimately mm-hmm. seems to end up with, if not bulletproof storytelling, at least storytelling that I'm comfortable with that is hitting beats and that I can look through and say, yes, I, I'm, I, I've always liked to try to accomplish things that have that feeling of, of great turns, great scenes, great lines, as opposed to uh, muddling people just sort of sitting around tables you know talking or whatever probably just you know too much of a 90s you know film uh 
too much time in 90s uh, movie theaters, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so now this is the, the, the part of the, the show that we are contractually obligated to mm-hmm. talk about Captain America. Oh, my gosh. Him. Yes, of course. I've heard of this character. Right, right. I mean, you thought we were here to talk about Rick's decision making around typing classes, but in <laughs> fact, we're here to talk about Ooh. Captain America. So I think, Dan, your first uh, cap work yeah. was on the Captain America annual number 10 that came out in May 1991. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the conclusion of the Von Strucker Gambit, which was a three-part story that uh, I think first the first part appeared in the Daredevil annual that year, and then the second part was in the Punisher annual. Uh, and this was around the same time that you were writing Daredevil, which also mm-hmm. featured the Punisher in the first story mm-hmm. arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, you were uh, Nick Fury was he played a major part in that story, and you had been writing that uh, series for quite some time. But you were new to Captain America uh, at this point, right? So, what did you do to prepare yourself to get into Steve Rogers' head? I, I, I think it's the same thing I'll always do, you know, which is which is invest myself in in what exists. So, uh, you know, uh, Mark Grunwald was the writer at that point, and and I think had a pretty deep imprint on the character. Uh, so there was certainly a lot of uh, reading around the works that he was doing um, and just sort of feeling that kind of influence of of him not trying to emulate him. But knowing that I'm always very respectful or try to be very respectful if I'm picking up on characters that I don't quote unquote own. I don't want to go in and suddenly, you know, tromp all over and say, well, this is the way to do it. or This is my way of doing it. I try to find something that's of the essence of the character. If I like it, if, if I think somebody's completely done, you know, a BS job on it, that might be totally different, you know, coming into it. But, but Mark's interpretation, I always found there was a lot to like about it. So the solidity of that would probably have been, you know, the way I kind of came into it. And I think it's also ultimately um, my affection and interpretation, I'm sorry, affection and appreciation of the character, which in a lot of ways would would lead to blood and glory, um, you, you know, was always looking at him as a soldier, right? That was That was my feeling about him. That was my thinking about him. So... I think the combination of the two is really what allowed me to kind of get in to that and then use him um, in that way. I did. Did I write all this Von Strucker Gambit stuff? I kind of think I did. No, no. I think, I think that you, you, the, the uh, summit, summit. I think you had something in the Punisher annual, but not yeah. the Daredevil one. Right. All right. All right. right. Because yeah. I, I know I know I sat down with the, the co-writers and, you know, I think we all did one of those, um, um, you know, brain meld deals. And we sort of like we've come up with all the baton passes Mm-hmm. um you know before before doing it um and that was allowed it to sort of be a little bit more more seamless and then pick up on um on it in the right way so in that annual you actually did, you also wrote a little story in the beginning it was like right. it's just a two-page recap of cap's origin yeah and and um which has got to be cool right i mean you you oh yeah yeah you, here you are and you're redoing you know you're retelling <laughs> an iconic character like captain america's origins so that that's got to have been pretty cool but but you wrote this was interesting to me rogers underwent a grueling battery of oral mm-hmm. intravenous and radiation treatments and and i found this interesting because you combined all the various versions of cap's origin because right. in captain america comics number one back in you know the 40s 
Steve received a shot. Mm-hmm. And then in Captain America 255 by Roger Stern and John Byrne, Steve took a serum and then he mm-hmm. was hit by Vita rays. Mm-hmm. So was it your idea to include all the previous versions or was this edit- editorial directed? I, I wish I could. I wish my brain still functioned. I wish I had some Vita rays uh, for, for my uh, for my brain to, to sort of tell you specifically. Yeah. But I um I I got away with got away. I think I had I think I knew I, enough of what I was doing and I had some very good editors. I rarely got, um you know, notes or undue influence, you know, that I was not happy with. So I didn't feel like anything was kind of put, put forward on that. I, I think it was it it probably came about naturally and and you've probably put more thought into the interpretation of it than i i did in actually writing that you know right now in the sense that i think i just read to prepare for that i think i just again saturated myself in enough cap lore and you know a combination of the marvel universe handbooks and whatever else was around the office and sort of just taking a couple notes and saying okay well he's this this and this and then how do you, you know, those two page things are are economies of of language and pressure testing. You know, you're trying to cram so much stuff into those quick jumping off points or wrapping up things. Oh, yeah. So um, so I think that that was probably uh, both the research and maybe a happy accident of of, well, he did this, this and this. So why don't I just put them all together in one caption and no, let's get to my story. <laughs> and i i think i think writers maybe maybe had taken that further on because you know future origin retellings sure. were a combination mm-hmm. uh you mm-hmm. know so a little bit of both all right so let's take a look at your your punisher captain america blood and glory series mm-hmm. this was a mm-hmm. prestige format three issue miniseries mm-hmm. which ran about 150 pages uh, yeah. and that that's like the size of most trade paperback collections um <laughs> when you started each issue the three issues mm-hmm. um you you started with a thought provoking quote from mm-hmm. from social commentators uh and and so respectively that was will rogers gene rostin and george bernard shaw Mm-hmm. What was your thinking here to to start each one of these with with these quotes? It was a um while the book was certainly commercially generated, you know, in a certain way, you know, by myself and Margaret, uh, especially, you know, we wanted to kind of leapfrog our profile and uh, and what better way, you know, than using a very popular character of the day, the Punisher, and combining him with a character we really liked trying to recruit Klaus, you know, Jansen, you know, you know, to it as well. Um, you know, so there's a lot of commercial touch points to getting it going and pitching it. Um, I think it quickly became you know, something more uh, meaningful for us, you know, the way we looked at the characters and the story that we wanted to tell. Um, so being a little snobbish and intellectual, <laughs> you know, throwing a quote at the beginning of certain things that means something or tries to kind of proposition that there's a theme or there's elements to this that are maybe uh, just beyond the action adventure of the story uh, was certainly the intention. I think a good quote like that can be a crutch, but it can also just get you in a mindset of this is this is how I, the author or the creator or one of the creators, would like you to to be sitting forward or back in your seat as we get into the story. 
I may fail at accomplishing that for the rest of the 48 pages or whatever. <laughs> but 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 I you know, that was that was always the thinking that there's a little bit more going on here or a lot more going on here, uh, hopefully uh, with the uh, with the story and what it what it was about and what it meant for those those characters. I think uh, you know, Rick will tell you, he'll be the first one to tell you that I I, I often talk about the, the fact that I, I like cap stories that uh, mm -hmm. I, I love entertainment, but I also love a little bit of a moral lesson and yeah. uh, a little bit of uh, historical context and, and, and depth. And it, it seemed to me that, um, you know, this this book came obviously in, in the early 1990s, followed on the mm -hmm. heel of uh, of what occurred in Panama with uh, General mm -hmm. Manuel Noriega. Yep. Uh, and there seemed a lot of parallels with with what you did in Blood and Glory, particularly with this General Miguel uh, Navatalalis and mm -hmm. uh, Medusala and, and that whole story and the resemblances between that character and the Noriega character around mm -hmm. weapons trafficking and drug smuggling and shady sure. connections with intelligence agencies. And in fact, in, in the <laughs> issue too you have Navatal Alice paraphrase that famous quote from Noriega where he says yeah. and what does one do with a dog that has rabies which the NSA actually did pick up Noriega saying in yeah. uh, in communications traffic so were you trying to make that three uh three issue series uh topical a little bit of a moral lesson uh and really connecting to that world outside your window as as Stanley used to say I, the last part, yes, uh, not a moral lesson so much. Uh, you know, both Margaret and I were uh, uh, big fans of Tom Clancy, you know, type things, you know, that sort of uh, um, heavily detailed, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, militarized, you know, fiction, you, you know, in, in its own yep. way, but, you know, with enough touches on factual ways of way weapon systems and, you know, uh, clandestine organizations work. And, and I was um, a, uh, uh, I'll say, a, a whore for the current affairs and sociology section <laughs> of the bookstore. You know, I'd go in and I would, you know, I'd skip the fiction thing if it didn't say Stephen King. And I'd go right to pulling off, you know, the the latest and greatest, uh, you, you know, uh, tome written by whoever, you know, and whatever side of the political aisle, just, just to kind of get the details. Um, so I had uh, certainly read a lot about everything from Iran Contra to the uh, to the uh, you know to the cartels um and and definitely that 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 rabid dog quote you know was lifted directly from that you know uh, uh, part of um my mindset is not just to to rip things off though sometimes that can can work for you but you know if there's a great line like that which it is use it right you know right. it's it's uh and you know put it to work there and it gives it it felt he the character is clearly uh, influenced and inspired by that but in that way i think you know it also gives a real rawness uh to uh, probably better than anything i could have i could have come up with but i would grab that's part of that fragment thing too mm -hmm. you know uh, i imagine i had put that line in a clip file uh at one point or another and then you know as we were going through it it's like okay what do i got under military what do i got under under uh uh you know um um cartels and then starting to kind of discover this you know i used to have uh, five of the seven i still have them i'm sure they're over there somewhere 
I had to hide them when my kid was younger. I had five of the seven how to kill books, you know, which were oh, yeah. the, old, yeah. the old Paladin Press, right? <laughs> I had a couple of those, right. You, you know, you just, and, um, you, I've never seen Bob light up that much. You know, boom, like that, right, right yeah. next to my anarchist cookbook. Right, I mean, I had that too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, you know, um, but, but, you know, a ton of the Punisher stuff from that book came from, from those. Okay. I mean, I heavily yeah. researched those how to kill books figuring castle is a killing machine you know so you know the the blades he uses uh you know the the you know stop the uh uh stop the breathing uh start the bleeding start the bleeding you know um, yeah that that whole sequence right. of lines promote establish shock that is a tenet of those books right. right so that okay. is directly lifted from there because to me he was this is what he's done he has researched how to kill people so it's those kind of things to get back to that fragment you know, aspect. I had collected that. And then at the right point in time, oh, well, guess who's going to say those lines? You, you know, that that's, of All course, right. this wasn't, it sense. wasn't going to be Cap. It wasn't going to be Cap. No, Cap <laughs> yeah. Cap gets no. Cap gets the other things to say. You know, yeah. I wondered in, in real life, of course, Noriega had a, a, a tight relationship with the CIA, but you, mm-hmm. you, you focused on the Defense Intelligence Agency. Yeah. In, in blood and glory. And, and I was curious about that because I used to work for the DIA. And so did you really? I, I did. Well, I was an attache uh, for several okay. years overseas. Okay. And so I was. He carried I, a case around a lot. Yeah, right. <laughs> we talked about that one episode, my little pick case uh, in case I got arrested or something. I had to. Oh, you're talking about the sheet. stuff, the stuff in your butt? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. stuff, but but she, well, anyway, a different story. But but anyway, I think that like the vast majority of Americans don't even know like the DIA totally. exists. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I, I wondered if this was just like something to spice up the story. Uh it, it, it certainly uh, sounds plausible to me. So yeah, a little bit. I mean, the the sense of like I said, I would collect a lot of my obscure things or or topical things or current affair things. That was something I I brought to the the writing relationship. Uh, and one of the things that I think Margaret always brought really well was uh, incredibly obscure, holy shit, like that's cool references. So, uh, you know, that was I don't think I had heard of the DIA at that point. She had some government contacts of people that worked in government, uh, friends uh, in it there. I don't know if she she'd pulled it from from that knowledge base. But, uh, you know, it also to me you know, it makes it a little bit more unique, right? I don't think we went into much in the in the inner workings of the DIA, but everybody had heard of the CIA at that point. Fewer people of the NSA, but but still to, to some extent, um, uh, they certainly went from no such agency to everybody knowing, you know, who they are. But, you know, the DIA uh, was a more out there thing. So it felt yeah. like, I always like to bring, sometimes to my detriment, <laughs> you know, slightly more... Uh, obscure or unique references to things as opposed to oh look it's just the doomsday device you know if there's a doomsday device or something like that let's have some real thinking behind it and that Mm -hmm. was the reason for them as an operating mechanism uh in in that particular you know instance Hmm. all right one more question about uh the, the the cap punisher story Throughout the series, you you had characters parrot commercial lines, mm-hmm. uh, like the the general "We aim to please," um, mm-hmm. and then you had like uh, Vidal Sassoon's "If you don't look good, we don't look good," mm-hmm. and you had uh, Coke's "Have a Coke and a Smile." Dr. Pepper's "Just What the Doctor Ordered." I mean, you just littered these throughout. Uh, you know, first of all, 
I don't know if was it was that another way for you to make some side side hustle money there was it, was this product placement or <laughs> or was just was this just for I fun wish. or I like, wish like I th- social commentary think, what was it I I think that's um if anything I think that's uh you know watching a lot of Schwarzenegger movies you, you know I think that's a I think that's an instance <laughs> of of the nineties you know uh, quip uh, quipism yeah. you know like let's throw some things in that um. I'll buy you that know, for two dollars. Uh, exactly, like the right. inflation, you know, you know, kicks in. You know, perhaps not picking up on a another movie's tagline, you, you know, in that instance, but uh, conversational, uh, you know, colloquialisms that feel like they're uh, they're going to resonate well with the audience who's going to see it in in four months, five months, six months after you read it. How well it resonates now, thirty years later, you know, people may just say, "Oh, that's a that line works," but they're not going to. They're yeah. not going to reference it as a pop culture thing in most mm-hmm. cases. Uh, you know, it's kind of like reading Stephen King nowadays, and I still think he's a great author, but he's definitely back 10 years with his pop culture references. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, if I listen to music that has come out in the last 20 years, yeah, in my mind, I'm listening to new music, new music, right? Right, right. right. I'm like, yeah. oh, hey. Hey, look at that. It's, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I, Britney, I don't know. It's Britney Spears. <laughs> Not wow. quite that bad. Yeah. She's going no. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So speaking of the 1990s, um, mm-hmm. in the late 1990s, Marvel created this new run of what they called cyber comics. Yes. And it was mm-hmm. an early initiative of digital comics, uh, that they published on their website. You, wrote a bunch of these mm-hmm. uh and uh but they didn't end up being quite as popular medium i mean they're ahead of their time and and probably mm-hmm. too much so and and, mm-hmm. and they didn't really quite catch on so after the year 2000 um cyber comics themselves were removed from the website now unfortunately those series weren't re-released after their removal and and many of them completely lost mm-hmm that is until 2011, where one Mr. Dan Chichester posted on YouTube your four-issue cyber comic that you wrote titled Captain America Iron Man Invasion Force. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what prompted you to post this story on YouTube all these years later? Well, I actually, I had done um, four or five, I did five of those. I did a, a Blade movie tie-in. I did a Spider-Man 4 issue one, an X-Men 4 issue one, a Fury 4 issue one, and then the Cap uh, Iron Man one. Um, and as you know, um, you know, they didn't catch on. Um, you know, there are others. Others were done. Fabian did some as well. Um, uh, part of that was technology, right? They were they were ahead of their time. Um uh, but they required a certain uh, uh, player, a certain file format. You know, most of them were like available through America Online. They were hidden in some <laughs> obscure corner of it. A lot mm-hmm. of people weren't finding them. But um, um, but I, I thought they were, I, you know, to this day, I look at them and I sort of say, you know, they were kind of doing their own thing that that some things still aren't doing. Um, you know, in, in terms of like some of the interactivity of the story, it wasn't a choose your own adventure thing mm-hmm. it was there's some like little things you could explore and you could click on certain things and certain things would happen and and you know some it would, sometimes it would just change the panel but sometimes you'd you'd find little hidden clues so it was somewhere between storytelling and a kind of a fun little 
hidden items uh, game. Um, and, you know, we would think that stuff through and we would write mm -hmm. that up. And then the artist uh, and the, the programmer would, would put together those different elements. Um, but they were um, they were in a format called Macromedia Director uh, was the was the programming. Uh, uh, Bob's nodding his head. As I it, remember that. Yeah. 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 So that yeah. was that was the that was the format that they were in. And um, and while I have always stayed, I think, pretty technically uh, savvy. Uh, and ahead of the time, I was getting to the point where I realized these formats are not going to be readable anymore. Like, like the, you're not, you know, you move, you upgrade to the next operating system, you buy the next computer, it doesn't run that anymore because that program no longer exists. Right. So I, I said it's either, you know, retire that with that that hard drive, you know, and or and never be able to look at it again. Um, and then that hard drive is probably going to degrade even if mm -hmm. I keep it, or just you know what convert them over to video which basically just meant playing them and clicking through them and capturing them on video so they're crude as you've watched them you know like you get like chunky sound and the sound yeah there was there, there was some at least on the one that you posted on youtube and, and by the way i'll put the link on our facebook page yeah so, uh listeners you know i'll put that out there and i'll go right to what chichester had had posted on youtube right but, um i and it, it goes, you know, there's four issues or so four videos. And then right. I, I know two, three and four had background noise. Right? right. So some music, some special effects. You didn't hear like the characters talking, which was fine. No. You no. read, but you could hear the, the special effects. Right. Right. There's there's looping sound and music or whatever. And then as you would click on certain things or advance certain panels or the dramatics of something happening, you know, something would crash, something would fall over right. the panel. As you advance to that panel, you might hear the crash of that. But because it's, you know, it's it was just a kludgy capture, volumes off and that sort of thing. But anyway, my my thinking was um capture them now or forever they'll be gone and and mm -hmm. i actually like the stories i thought that they they played out they were done at a time for me you know where i wasn't getting um a lot if any comics work and i had actually gone into the to the marvel offices uh and the woman who was the editor on those initially and you know uh i had i had gone in and i went in to pitch programming because I had gotten pretty good at that program, that that Macromedia director, and I knew they had done a couple things like that. And I went in and I said, you know, um, could I maybe program some of this stuff, you know, just just for work? And uh, and she was like, well, maybe, but why wouldn't you want to write something? <laughs> You're <laughs> like, sort of okay. Showed, that was yeah. where my head was at. And um, and so, uh, you know, she gave me the in on, on a couple of initial ones, and then I continued to work with... Uh, the editor that that came after her until that line died out. You know, we had started a plan for sort of the cyber comics 2.0 a little bit, but uh, Marvel just decided, you know, to, to to pull the plug on it. But if I hadn't captured them, um, I mean, I've had people, you know, inquire over the years. I haven't had somebody from Marvel at one point contact me and saying, you know, do you have the original files for this and um and i i don't think i do anymore you know i, I mm. offered to give them the clean version of the the videos but even marvel didn't have them mm. um so and i've never seen anybody uh post any of the other ones which doesn't mean they don't exist somewhere but sure. i think that's that's the problem with uh certain file formats in digital y you know we think they're they're kind of uh they're forever because they're digital but some of these things just aren't going to run anymore after a point
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, and you know, the, the story, at least, uh, you know, I, I, I watched Reds, watched slash read the right. Captain America Iron Man one. And um, it was kind of interesting. It was uh, the story and the way it displayed reminded me of like the old 60s Marvel cartoons. Yes. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But the graphics reminded me of 90s video games. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, as far as the art style. Uh, now, as far as the writing, it seemed like there was a little bit more freedom in writing digital comics uh, for you as opposed to printed. Did, did, mm -hmm. you, did, did you did you it came across that way? Like, did you feel like you could yep. be a little bit more adventurous there? Are you you're referring to the line you you sent me about like uh, oh well, yeah you know? <laughs> so yeah um, so there there is an interchange between Cap and Tony Stark so he shows up Cap shows up in a Quinjet and he lands on the water and right next to to Tony's yacht and so Tony's there um, mm -hmm. and he's he's just wearing a bathing suit and he had just had a, a young lady in his arms on the deck and uh, I, I said on the deck and. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cap shows up, and so the lady goes down, 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 down below, and he's standing there. And Tony says something like, "Are you expecting me to salute you?" And he says, oh, "No, you're you're saving the salute for the young lady." And then, what? And then, and then Tony <laughs> says, "Well, I'll I'll make I'll make you a copy of the video later." I mean, <laughs> what? what? <laughs> like. I mean, this is this is the what late is he, Rob 90s. Lowe? Yeah, I yeah. mean, how did this get by the editors? Hey, listen, I once did. I don't know. If, I did a book called Terror Incorporated. Um, yeah, that was yeah, about a mercenary. Yeah, Shrek. You know, Shrek. You know, which uh, which did a crossover with Silver Sable and Luke Cage at one point, where Mark McLaurin, myself, and Greg Wright had a uh, a villain called Priapus. You know, which is named after the you know the 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 you know the Greek god or Roman god of sex. So we got away with that in the mainstream stuff. Nobody, you know, bought and you know they're so that was minor in comparison. Um, no, I mean nobody nobody did pay attention to that stuff. You, you know, in the in the in the sense that um, you know God loved Marvel in many ways, um, but much like when I worked with Epic, uh, you know, I think with the cyber comic stuff, they weren't real comics right to a lot of people right mm -hmm. they weren't they weren't part of the regular line so it didn't matter that you were using the same characters or even referencing maybe things that were happening um if you wanted to do that although we were mostly out of continuity and or maybe doing what if what if type stories or timeline change type stories uh but um you, you know nobody nobody was paying attention in that regard um but the editor, um, you know, wasn't um, wasn't being uh, careless about things. I think, you know, it was just figuring, hey, let's just have some fun. Does the story mm -hmm. work? Does it fit the 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 vibe of the character? Does it feel like it's in line with the with the characters? Is it a good adventure? Is it working with the programming limitations you know, that we had? Like you said, the the art was more like uh, '90s uh, video, video game, game animation yeah. because also you have to remember that you're on like a 14 4 28k modem at most for most people mm -hmm. so the art had to be very simplified so that the file size would be as small as possible you know to to be able to get across anybody's phone line 
and it'd still be the same century. <laughs> yeah. <know? laughs> so right. that's why, you know, certain the things, the way th certain things looked, why we didn't have voices, you know, that type of thing. Not that we ever really talked about that, but, um, but, uh, but they were fun stories to do, you know, and I felt like they were, we tried, I know I tried to again, be true to the characters, you know, who is Cap in this? Cap is very much Cap in my mind, you know, uh, Stark is very much, uh, you know, you, you know, Stark, we didn't try to compromise the characters at all. We just, we just were playing with them in a different, a different format or telling an adventure that nobody had known about before. So Dan, we've got uh, we've got some questions from uh, a handful of our yeah. listeners, uh, if you'd be Please. willing. So Grant, Grant Baugh, and, and I know we've talked about this a little previously, talking about Steve Rogers and how you, you got into Steve's head, but he wants to know that, you know, when you're, you're about to start writing a story for a character that maybe you haven't done before, what are some mm -hmm. of the things that you do to prepare to better understand those characters? Sure. I mean, we referenced a little bit, um, you know, as I said, I read, I read around the character, you know, who is, who is working on that. Um, and something I think that was really important um, for what works in blood and glory, you know, as that, as a reference point, you know, for this conversation is, um, you know, we, we looked at that as them as being soldiers, right? There were two captains from two different wars. So I read extensively around World War II soldiers watched Frank Capra's World War II documentaries or propaganda films um, and, um, you know, read some of the seminal works around uh, Vietnam soldiers, you, you know, uh, you know, returning soldiers and the mentality around that to try to get into their heads. So I was approaching them. And of course, as we talked about before, how we kill, uh, you know, but <laughs> but that was important as a driver for the character, mm -hmm. you, you know, not not I never looked at Castle as 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 just a vigilante i always looked at him as this horribly driven character but uh in answer to that particular question it was what can make these soldiers come to life as much as anything else you know mm -hmm. so that was kind of finding a theme for that book and and i would keep that in my mind whenever i would write cap after that i mean i i had a daredevil story i think it came after that you know where he uh, mm -hmm. tree of knowledge where where cap yes. played pretty extensive role um and and that cap is what is who's in my mind throughout that and him and daredevil have a fairly prescient debate about um like the early digital rights and like you know and, and liberties and uh you know. i i, <laughs> so, I don't think yeah. i've told you this uh, dan but um daredevil he's my number two. Oh wow so, all right yeah so i have um in my my personal collection i have Captain America, uh, 100 to current, um, mm -hmm. and then all the Tales of Suspense stories. Daredevil, I'm only missing three issues from one to current. Uh, wow. So wow. Yeah, he's 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 my number two. So I'm a big fan of your four years on Daredevil, just as thank a side you, note. Thank you. Uh, well, I mean, the you. fall, the kingpin, mm -hmm. uh, you know, was, you know, which culminated in issue 300. Amazing story. Um, and it, it was very true to the character. Uh, it, it, it captured a lot of the elements that Frank Miller had set up in both his, you know, his writing, mm -hmm. you know, that he had done before fall from grace and, and things like that. So, um, and then, then later with your work with Scott McDaniel, uh, yep. you know, was, was amazing too. So I, as a cap and daredevil fan, seeing the two of them 
in the series together was a highlight for me. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Well, that's, um, but, um, that's terrific. Thank you very much, Rick. And, um, but, uh, but, uh, hopefully Rob, that, that answers that listener's question, or at least gives them something to think about. So, uh, uh, Mark, Mark Domeyer asks for crossover series like Punisher cap, do mm -hmm. they come about because someone pitches an idea mm -hmm. or does Marvel say, you know, the Punisher is such a hot commodity, like you said in the beginning of, of, of our talk. Uh, so come up with an idea. Uh, it can go either way. Um, I think today, uh, from my understanding, there's a lot more um, editorial, uh, maybe control or decision making around certain things like that. And certainly there was, you know, back in my heyday for that reason, you know, hey, Wolverine's super popular. Let's do six more Wolverine stories and figure it out here. Punisher was extraordinarily popular at that oh, time. Yeah. Uh, he had three popular. ongoing series, right? Three right, ongoing right. series when you when you wrote the 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 Blood and Glory. Yep, and so um and so that was as I, I referenced before, uh, commercially driven by myself and Margaret in the sense that we wanted to kind of get our profile higher um, within the Marvel you know, echelon, we wanted to hopefully make some money, you know, so we pitched this, we pitched the, the idea loosely to, to Klaus, who we were friendly with. Mm -hmm. We were trying to kind of steal some of Klaus's thunder because he's coming off of Dark Knight, you know, and, and I mean, just Klaus is great anyway, but Dark Knight didn't hurt. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we're trying to, we're trying to steal that thunder. So we go in and we pitch this, you know, we, we, we pitch that one directly, you know, as commercial, it's got Klaus, it's got Punisher, Cap's a little less commercial, uh, frankly, at that mm -hmm. point. But yeah. but um it's true. But you know, but still, you know, a prominent Marvel character. And um, and you know, we got them to buy off on it. Now, the weird thing was with that whole thing was uh, and it didn't, I think, uh, take away or add to the to the sales in one way or the other, but uh Klaus then did take an extraordinarily long time to get to the book. Not that mm -hmm. he was slow. But he had a lot of other commitments or it wasn't on his radar and editorial wasn't pushing him. So we had actually written those plots quite a ways before uh, we had gotten around to to him doing the artwork and then scripting them, which, um, you know, a true confessions part of your program. Um, and I sort of referenced this this earlier, but, you know, Margaret and I had started out uh, writing just as professionals we had gotten into a, a, a romantic relationship, you know, you know, mm -hmm. through the course of of working together uh, and getting to know each other. Um, but then by the time that story was finished, that relationship had ended, not necessarily <laughs> great. And so the scripting of that story and the scripting works pretty well, was done yeah. in that same way I described before. But we were on barely speaking terms beyond speaking around that book which was a very weird place to be. <laughs> wow. That's, that, a, yeah. that's a little inside and, baseball there. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And, and, you know, so the, so the gap of time, you know, that Klaus had, had, you know, again, taken for various reasons, you know, a lot, a lot had changed around that, but with crossovers like that, um, you know, they can come either way, but in that case we had pitched it and, uh, and pitched it, you know, for commercial reasons. But once you, 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 uh, you get the go ahead, I think then it's on you to find the why of it, 
you know what mm -hmm. what what is really driving the story what's really driving the characters more than just you know give me some cheddar you know give me some give me some money not that you can't sure. do that but for us it meant it, it especially meant more setting the story up well not too many people know this but see uh bob and i actually are, are no longer on speaking terms either so it's kind of yeah awkward. you got you this is the only time show. you talk, right? You know, like yeah, you yeah. just get on. Yeah, it's well done. Well done. Tell, tell Rick I'm tired of his typewriter stories. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'm going to put that in the chat, you know, so, you know. <laughs> so uh, another listener, Chester Cox, he he wants to know, he, he asks, both Frank and Matt have exhibited different personality types in the decades of their comic life. Do you feel an obligation to pass continuity? And if so, how far past? I'm sorry, both Frank and and yeah, Frank Matt. Castle and and Matt Murdock. Ah, oh, okay. Or in and uh, well, okay. I think it's Frank and Steve, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it be right? Because that's what that's I what don't know. I didn't. I, didn't I, I, I know. Frank. I know. I think. I, I think Chester. <laughs> I think Chester meant Frank and Steve uh, have exhib exhibited different personality types in their, you know, over the. So when you're writing this, how far? in the past continuity do you feel you need to go to, for their personalities right right no that's a good question um uh you know in this in the in the case of a standalone book like this um i think we're we 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 were freer from the specific continuity um so we didn't have to kind of reference back to or even what's going on right then you know what, what the hell is cap doing in his book at the moment or what the hell is punisher doing in his many books at the moment um we weren't doing you know a, a sort of a, a a pickup like that we had the the luxury of telling a very standalone story so it was more important that we do things that are true to the character uh identity the character persona um and those sort of things you know does he still feel like a punisher even though this is my version of the punisher margaret's version of the punisher does it still feel like Cap, even though it's our version of Cap and not Mark Grunewald's version of Cap or, or somebody else's? So we had a little bit of, um, I would say a lot, actually a lot of leash to to play out our version of it. But we were pretty, um, we had good editors, and but we also, I think, were pretty severe judges of ourselves to sort of want to, if you want to play with the character, then don't disrespect the character. Right. Sure. That was that was, I think, like an important uh, way we would approach it. All right. One last question from our listeners. Uh, Andrew Meyer asks, you did an excellent job showing the morality differences between Cap and the Punisher. Do you feel that this dynamic of hero versus vigilante is so strong mm -hmm. that this is the reason stories such as these? And then he gives an example, Cap versus Wolverine, Daredevil versus Punisher, et cetera that stories such as these withstand the test of time and continue mm -hmm. to be popular with readers? It's a great question. Um, I would say, though, that I never we just, you know, we sort of touched upon a, a few times. I didn't look at it as hero vigilante. I mean, I can remember that, you know, even to now. And if I go back and reread the story, which I had to, you know, not, uh, you know, for some of this and and a little bit before for something else, I we looked at it as as soldier soldiers again soldiers from different wars you know and they they had now those wars had different if not true moralities at least the identity of moralities uh you know or 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 different um things as drivers behind them so 
I think that's more what drives a story like this is um, is uh, that that essence of of who they are versus one is a hero and one is a a vigilante. Neither one of them, and they you know they go through a kind of a crossover. I mean, Cap does not become a vigilante in the story by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Although I guess technically he is. Right. Or as they say in the MCU, he's, he's a war criminal now, isn't he? But, um, uh, <laughs> you know, is it, um, you know, there's that 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 that's starting off where you're a Boy Scout or you're a tool of the government and you're a killing machine and and you're part of the problem, you know, to then that sort of semi mutual respect as, you know, we're two officers from different wars. And and, you know, even I mean, it's a short scene, but I mean. I was very pleased with like the end scene where they salute each other. You know, to me, that's a that's a big, a big moment. I wish we had given a little bit more attention to, even in retrospect. But it still works. You know, and he tells him at the end, you know, Captain, you know, Castle, and he salutes him. Um, mm -hmm. That's that's a, you know, and you know that's the kind of thing that probably nobody ever picks up on again. I don't know. Has anyone ever touched on that again? In in the sense of, of a relationship between them, maybe maybe not. But in the moment the world you kind of create it um you, you stay true to that so let's uh, let's touch on that because i you know I, I don't know if you know this uh bob bob is a 25 year uh marine veteran and, oh okay uh so uh by the way bob was that a good salute was a you know i knew you were gonna ask that in fact i was just gonna, i was just gonna he has dive. a pet peeve about the gonna, artist oh you no i and i was gonna say it was pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was pretty good there in that last panel. You know, we didn't get many letters on the book um, because it wasn't a book with a letter column, but I, I wish I'd kept it to this day. One of the, one of the best letters maybe I ever got uh, was from a veteran who just uh, pointed out uh, his, he was um, acknowledging um, that we got the steps right at the, at the tomb of the unknown soldier, you know, that we had done oh, like kind right. of our homework to sort of play that scene out with the 21 steps and such. And that was all and then marked, the 21 you know. seconds. Yeah, you know, yeah. 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 So, so the fact we kind of gave that it's due, um, you know, he just, he, he just uh, thanked us for that, which I was, I said, Oh, a, somebody noticed and B it, it, it was right to do that. It was right to give it that extra, you know, time as, as a scene. So, all right. So I, I have to bring this up because mm -hmm. um, you said that you think of when you think of steve rogers when you think of captain america you think of a soldier mm -hmm. now, um and that's that's perfectly fine that's what he was in world war ii mm -hmm. um and when you look at for example the ed brubaker run in 2005 mm -hmm. that you know that went on for for you know five years um he was more of a a soldier in that mm -hmm. in that and run but if you look at mark grunewald mm-hmm uh, J.M. DeMatteis, Mark Wade, uh, you know, Grant, um, they had a more of a, uh, as a superhero rather than mm -hmm. a super soldier. Mm -hmm. um, there's a little bit of a debate. Would Steve look at a killer like the Punisher and would he salute him showing a sign of respect to a person that he doesn't agree with on his methods. So mm -hmm. I'm curious as the writer who prompted this of Steve saluting Frank, 
Um, mm-hmm. What do you think prompted Steve to do that? And and was it, um, again, coming from a more, obviously, as you said, from a, a soldier's perspective? I, I think, in the again, I had the luxury, you know, with Margaret of telling a self-contained tale, right? You know, and I didn't have to worry about maintaining a monthly schedule, you know, for years on end where you're, you know, you're charged with, you, you know, you can't just keep telling like soldier stories, right? Probably just in in its own way. You got to mix in some superhero stuff, you know, and and, and broaden the character in a way, maybe. Um, but to me, you know, in thinking about it that way, and again, reading the research that we had done about Vietnam soldiers, about World War II soldiers, about the crossover um, personas of some of those people, that didn't all go into the book, but there were certain overlaps there that to me and margaret you know i think said um the these are not that different in a lot of ways and if they've just gone through this adventure together you know in this battle and then they decided to bind forces over pushing back on you know these dictators and this cartel and these corrupt uh officers you know within this this uh, shadow you know organization um how can you not have respect for the person you're fighting alongside? So, uh, and, you know, at the same rank, at a certain sense of mutual understanding, uh, you know, in comic book-ism, you know, next week they'll be slugging it out again, I, I guess. Uh, <laughs> right. But, um, but it, it, you know, it felt true. And, and uh, I think it still feels true to me, the the vibe of it. And sometimes that's how I know. I know stories work, at least for me, is when the moments take over themselves. Like that felt to me as if, as if it was as natural as, you know, drinking a glass of water, as opposed to us forcing it in. You know, oh, we got to have them salute because they're soldiers, right? It suddenly becomes this. You know, the biggest debates I had with, with, uh, with Lee Weeks, <laughs> like almost a shouting match, you know, um, was at the end of three Daredevil 300, you know, where, where, you know, Daredevil's one out over the kingpin and there's a long, you know, monologue he sort of does. And he, at mm-hmm. the end of it, he says, I forgive you. And, and, uh, and Lee ripped into me, like you would not believe, like, you can't have him say he forgives him. You know, you can't, you know <laughs> there's no way this works. Um, blah, 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 blah. Um, and, you know, I got to say, well, I'm the writer. I get to have him say whatever he wants. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it was also, you know, it just it just kind of came out of it. It came out of the sure. moment. It came out of out of the feeling of who's the character beyond. You know, the tough guy vigilante with the billy clubs who beats people, you know, into submission and who's the Catholic with the guilt and who's this and who's that and the best moments of those stories and others, I think, come, kind of come out of that that white heat flow. So the salute to me, um, does he does he agree with him on on ninety percent of the fronts? No, but at the essence of why he does things, does he do them for the right reason? Castle to me is not a is not an indiscriminate killer. At least I never wrote him that way, mm-hmm. you know, or thought of him that way. He could be thought. Lot of that way um he's a troubled soldier on a mission that's never gonna that's never gonna end right. um and that's what kind of worked you know for that 
for that moment in time. Fair enough. I, I think that's a an excellent answer. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was afraid you guys were, you know, gonna cut me off or, or attack me. I don't yeah, it's just it's just, you know, it, it um it's it's an interesting thing to to think about though, you know, when you start to to pick apart these characters um and 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 those aspects of them, uh, which is really when they do become the most interesting. Yeah. And and I think, you know, I, and I'm assuming I, you you haven't served in the military, but but I think the essence of of what that salute means, or mm -hmm. what a salute means, it can mean a number of different things. It's like a handshake, mm -hmm. right? It can mean a number of different things. And in that moment, mm -hmm. in that panel, it mm -hmm. meant a certain thing to two right. individuals that it may not have meant five pages earlier, or in a different situation, or in a different context. Right. And I and I think right. that's something that you captured. That you know, maybe a lot of readers just you know wouldn't wouldn't get that if they didn't have that experience. But uh, mm -hmm. but it certainly struck me that way. Mm -hmm. That's great to hear. Thank yeah. you very much for for sharing that because I mean that was I think what what we were trying to go for not just say oh the two soldiers let them salute each other, but it is that and I think that's a great way of putting it. Five pages earlier, two scenes earlier, no. Ten pages later, you know, or the next time they meet, no. But here you know and cap is not um i mean while it was never played up you know let's if you want to do the math did he go through all of world war ii never killing anybody or never seeing anybody die or of you know course, never right. protecting in violence yes he did mm -hmm. um but uh and you know they play that up now you know in more modern times but i i uh, thank you bob i really it means a lot you know you're hearing that you know, from you as somebody who served, you know, and, and seeing it in the in the way that we hope that it would come across. Yeah. But I mean, the question I really wanted to ask is, though, um, so I went back and, you know, did a little reading as well, a little research, and I came across that short little blurb and in, 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 uh, issue 230 of uh, volume two of Marvel Tales back in 1989, where they asked you a bunch of questions. And one of them they asked you was, if they were going to make a movie of your life, who would you like to play you? And, and you said Dick York, William Shatner or Vincent Price, and I want to you know, know you... they're they're all the same, right? <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> Have you updated your preferences since then? And if so, yeah. who, who who would, who would you it choose? be? It'd be. I mean, you know, I was nefarious uh, to the to the point of stupidity in terms of like in jokes. Um, but uh, so the 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 Shatner one, uh, I don't know why the Shatner one. Having met Shatner in the in the years in between, I don't know if I'd want to be played by him anymore. Um, but <laughs> oh, all right, all right, hold yeah, on now. But, this is um, a whole new podcast. No, 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 right no, no, no. Uh, um, Chichester but, talks about Shatner. Uh, <laughs> uh, mo, two, at least two of those are, are just in jokes with my good friend Greg Wright, uh, mm -hmm. because his colorist and editor and and such. Because uh, uh, you know we joke about Shatner a lot and just his his way of speech and 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 Greg, uh, uh, the fact I'm friends with him, you know, forty years later. Uh, th this guy, when I met him in college, would um, incessantly go on that I looked like Dick York, you know, the character <laughs> from from Bewitched, Bewitched right. yeah. which, which which may be true. I don't know. I've never seen it, but he has not let that dog lie for 35, 40 years, you know, plus of. of... Was was he the the second Darren? He was the second Darren, yes. right? Yes. I I, I, I don't even. Yeah, know. he was a more. He was a longer version. Yeah, the first guy was Sergeant, yeah. right? Right, right, Dick yeah, Sergeant. Dick yeah, Sergeant. It, yeah. But but he would not let this go, so I had to slug that in there. Um, and Vincent Price, I just loved the hell out of Vincent Price. Probably Vincent Price would be the one 
that it looks nothing like me, that I'm nothing like him. But if if you're going to be played by somebody, um, I would I would pick up on on Price and still hold him up there. Uh, yeah, he'd do a good job. I'm sure he'd, he'd, he'd do a good job. Had, 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 were he still alive, he'd do a great were job. Were he still alive, <laughs> yes. Little, but that, little... that actually, that brings me to a second question. I wasn't well, going to yeah. ask this, but well, I got to know. Hold, hold on, hold on, Bob. We we have to we have to figure out who we, who would play him now. Oh, all right. Okay. okay. Uh, and if you get if you put a little bit thicker eyebrows on Dan, uh huh. Right. That's hard to imagine. Have you no. seen these things? They're no, like no, hold on. Well, they're when like, I tell you, know, you when I tell you, just slightly thicker. Right. Okay? okay. We get Eugene Levy to pet, play him. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you, you know, go. All right. You know. <laughs> I like that actually. Yeah. You know, yeah. You have to um, give Eugene a haircut, but yeah, there, there would be, there would be again, worse things than Eugene Levy, you know, it's a, it's a, that would be, that would be (laughs) fine by me, you know, big fan, big fan. All right. Well, I got to ask it. I got to, I wasn't going to ask it, but it's, it's been bugging me Mm -hmm. and you've gotten in my head. Uh, you know, this is like 24 years later and an answer to one of your questions has gotten into my head. So in the last question, you said the, the question was the one thing I really want the world to know about me. And you mm-hmm. wrote, go to minute 21 of episode five of season one of the twilight zone walking distance, which I did. <laughs> and what is there? There must and, be something. And there. I couldn't figure it out, but so I watched the whole episode and now you've got me binge watching all five seasons on Paramount plus. So, so, uh, so my, I succeeded in my mission. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I do love walking distance. I probably arbitrarily picked that that time frame out, but that is a great episode. And and I do think that uh, you know, that whole idea of turning back to the things that you want it to be and then recognizing that you you can't and you have yeah. to sort of move on was a theme that I probably played into even before I recognized it. So it might have been a quip, but I usually find some of the things that I quipped about. Are, are are frighteningly more on are more informed. Uh, I made a film in in film school um, uh, where NYU was a very artistically driven film school. You know, it wasn't commercially driven at all. And me and my cronies, Greg was one of them. You know, we again wanted to be the Spielbergs, the Lucases of the next generation. So we were the most commercially oriented crew, maybe in the in the in the building at the time. And uh, and this one uh, professor, she was just independent film, independent film, all independent film all the time. And the assignment was make a um, uh, make an abstract film, you know, make an enchandelier, you know, sort of thing, you know, or, or whatever. And I said, I am going to throw every bullshit trope at the screen of this thing. You know, I'm going to I'm going to have a guy talking to an orange. I am going to like, you know, have, you know, I'm going to have uh you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, people playing chess. And when they knock the chess pieces over, you hear breaking glass, just, you know, <laughs> bullshit, bizarre imagery that has nothing to do with anything, you know, and I'm laughing to myself as I'm making this. And then when we looked at the edit um, and I had just broken up with this, uh, this girl, you, you know, woman, and, you know, had been distraught over it, you know, my cronies all looked at me like, yeah, that's every scene of, you know, heartache and like, you know, angst you're going through right now. <laughs> so even though I desperately tried to make it about nothing, it ended up being about like yeah. all this nonsense I was going through. So sometimes it you sounds can't like escape. it sounds like the the pitch for Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, it's about yeah. nothing. It's about everything. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, thank you anyway for getting me to uh, to dive back into Twilight Zone after yeah. all these years. And uh, there is there that is not time wasted. That is not isn't. time wasted. No. 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 So, you know, we like to play this game uh, on on the show, Dan. Uh, it's the what if game. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what if you had never left comics in 1999? Mm -hmm. What what mm -hmm. might have happened? I, the mullet might still be in fashion. Uh, you know, uh, that was... <laughs> um, I think I personally, or like, the, is this like one of these world changing things? Like if, you know, if, if Thanos hadn't come to earth, the whole galaxy would blow up. You're, you're talking well, about it might have been like, world changing. Who knows? You know? But I mean, personally, yeah. Um, I think I would be, um, I, I, I don't think I'd be as good a writer as I am today. You know, frankly, I, I think that I think I'm a I I overcame over the course of time that feeling that, you know, I always thought I was a really good editor and I thought I was kind of getting by as a writer and sort of fooling people a little bit of imposter syndrome and whatever. Um, and while there was a great deal of um, not writing for myself uh, and writing, you know, all sorts of things that may not matter in terms of you know, marketing and advertising, you know, over the years, the sheer discipline of it and the sheer, uh, you know, in working with other people and having to kind of craft stories and elements uh, and then at various different roles, help people discover that about themselves when I was maybe in a more uh, creative director, you know, you know, role or, or better. Um, I became a much, much, much better storyteller and a much more disciplined storyteller. I mean, I still have my bad days and you know suddenly say it's five o'clock and i got nothing done uh but i i i think it was the best thing that could have happened to me in that regard and has allowed me now to sort of step back into you know some steps of more of my own creative work uh, better prepared better able to realize it would have been great to sort of like continue to do some things along the way yes um should I have done that um, and not just been so black and white about, well, I'm done with that. I'm going over here. Uh, yes, but you learn not to pay too much attention to hindsight is 2020 and just kind of move forward with it. So now you're back, you're, you're, you're finding your way back. It's right. Full circle here, right? You're finding your way back sort to of. comics. So, so what is keeping you busy nowadays? Are, are there any upcoming projects we, we can share with the listeners? Um, yeah, well, there's one secret project we can't share with anybody. Um, but we, we know there's a secret project, but there's a, there's actually, um, black box comics, which is a, um, uh, smaller publisher, but has a pretty big line of, of comics, uh, of all different genres and stuff. Uh, their publisher, um, and editor Demetrios Zaharakis, uh, contacted me last summer and uh, asked me to co-develop a character with him. So it's a little bit of a dystopian future heist thriller sort of thing. Uh, got a little bit of science fiction, a little bit of a of a um, uh, thriller, you know, as I said, kind of kind of attitude to it. I don't think we've settled on a name for it, um, but uh, I just finished all five scripts of that. So that's a hundred plus pages of, of comics. And he just got a, an artist beginning the character design. Mm -hmm. So I anticipate the next, I don't know what his time frame is, but, you know, say the next six months or whatever. Um, and then uh, I've had a long gestating uh, Kickstarter project, uh, which uh, 
is uh, is uh, was originally called Route 666 a long time ago, but is now called Axel's Infernal, uh, which is kind of about a, a bunch of uh, uh, the simplified version would be sort of like truckers from hell. Um, but I've had it described <laughs> as like uh, the good place meets from dusk till dawn, which I like better. Um, Ooh, and, I like um, that. Uh, that's and, uh, uh, that you know that's good marketing right there. Right there yeah. That's good marketing right there. So um the full issue of that is done. Uh we're wrapping up the lettering. I've got uh, a lot of top talent on that. Um and it looks great. And I'm hoping to do that Kickstarter within the next uh you know couple of months. I've got to square up, you know, some of the edges around that. But um uh I don't have a link to that, you know, or anything yet, but that's something that'll be coming out I I would I would hope within the next uh again, you know, four to five months, the first issue of what would be a five issue story, you know, so mm -hmm. we're going to do the first one and then hopefully it gets a little bit of heat and then we can kind of come back to the well, you know, every couple of months uh, and bug people again. <laughs> That's cool. So <laughs> uh, getting back to, to black box comics, when, when, yeah. when, when will that, your, your story come out on there? I don't, you know, there's no time frame that I'm told, but I'm just, I'm just kind of projecting in my head that he just got the, I finished it. I mean, I'm okay. still going to participate in the, uh, you know, the discussions around it, but since he just got an artist going on it, I'm guessing, you know, I would guess turn of the year, you know, uh, you know, okay. end of the year, you know, sort of, sort of that thing. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. I'm on their website right now, blackboxcomics.net. Yeah, uh, they got a lot of. A lot of lot of titles. I mean, yeah, quite a and few, some actually. some good creators out there too. I mean, yeah, your, your old partner uh, Scott McDaniel. Yep, he was uh, did one of the first ones. Chuck Dixon's done stuff for yeah. them. Um, Andy Owens. Uh, yep, 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 and a lot of new folks. You know, um, and some of the stuff is really, I mean, it all looks good. I think, and and mm -hmm. you know, from the stories I've read, and my discussions, you know, with uh, Demetrios, you know, they're they've got a, a good vibe. So I've had a lot of fun with it. It's a genre, a genre I hadn't specifically worked in before. And it was a lot of world building, uh, to kind of get it to where it needs to be. But, uh, I uh, find that hard to believe a genre you haven't worked in before, because I, I was looking at your list of work in the nineties and there mm -hmm. were, there were some times where you were putting out three or four titles a month. Oh yeah. And, and in October of 1991, you had five books come out and talk about a span of genres. Okay. <laughs> All right. We have, we have Clive Barker's Hellraiser number nine. Mm -hmm. Then along that theme, we had Hellraiser Nightbreed Jihad mm -hmm. number one. So you have horror mm -hmm. covered right. with those two, right? Oh yeah. Then you get into Daredevil 299, which was the whole mm -hmm. fall of the Kingpin story, right? So you have your superhero you have your Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. number 30, which is, you know, going off into the spy genre. Yeah. And yep. then just for the hell of it, you have American Tale. Bible <laughs> Goes West number one. Yes. I love that book. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, go, where's the American Tale meets Hellraiser? I mean, like, you know, mm -hmm. that's a little I night mean, nurse in there would have been good. Yeah. I mean, it, it, talk yeah. about a a different genres what genre have you not done <laughs> i uh i just realized i hadn't done a lot of uh a, a good conan run like a good uh you know sword and sorcerer oh that'd about, be cool uh, yeah you know the the black box guys around some idea they had there as well so um that might be that might be a follow-up to this one i just finished but that's that's tbd but um um 
Yeah, you know, I've been I've been fortunate with being able to play in a lot of different uh, things like that, and I think um, that's a something that got better again over the years by having so many different assignments and marketing for so many different clients. You, you just have to apply yourself, uh, you know, to what's the task at hand and change your voice. And as long as you find something in there that you can be interested in, right? That's Mm -hmm. That's the driver. That's where you get mm -hmm. the passion. When you feel like you're, and I've been there at the, you know, depending on what we all do, we've all been there, but you know, when you find yourself on autopilot, just walk away from it. Right. When you're just kind of, even if you could do it on a serviceable level, like when you're just cranking it out, uh, there's going to be nothing there for you or, um, the readers. Mm, got it. Well, uh, you know, if, how can fans, what what's the best way for fans to follow you? So when that secret project does come out, they they can be one of the first to know. Yeah, um, I mean, I run a newsletter which I've been good and bad at. Um, I'm good at it again right now. Uh, so let's 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 um, let's let's commit to that. So if, uh, if folks visit storymaze.substack.com, uh, that comes out every couple of weeks. I'll say. That's a good, that's a good uh, zone of time. What so, can they expect uh, to find in that newsletter? Um, it's either uh, short pieces of original fiction or um, uh, things about writing, like creative inspirations. Okay. It's, it's usually something uh, short, kind of a pointer about something that I've found that I really like, which could be everything from a, a book or a movie or a video game. You know, I let the, the story... Uh, telling aspect of it go pretty wide um and um and then usually a little bit of what's been comics nostalgia i'll say you know in terms of like i'll return to the scene of the crime on you know in a particular book or uh, you know break down um a little backstory around what went on in this issue of daredevil or what went on in this issue of hardware or something like that um but that section is probably going to equally open up into um some of this new stuff you know where I'll, I'll play out i'll play that out as well excellent all right we'll have to sign up for that and we'll we'll make sure to include a, a link in the show notes thank you thank you yep. it'd be great all right what one last question because when we had jim shooter on um mm -hmm. we, we had we had jm damateus on now i know you're going to say what mark dematis no J.M. DeMatteis. And I'll tell you, so that's how he pronounced his name when he was on the show. This uh -huh. is J.M. DeMatteis. And when I said that to Jim Shooter, he goes, what? No, he was DeMatteis. Yeah, and, I know. That's, and and that's, then you that's... just, I heard you say earlier, no, it's Mark DeMatteis. So did he change how he pronounced his own name? Maybe. I've heard it. I've heard the second way and I've corrected people on that. But I mean, having worked with him as his editor and specifically, you know, called him and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I, you know, he never corrected me. And back in the day, he was a very intimidating figure. <laughs> so I assume he would have corrected me then. Um, oh, he's, he, but, he's, listen, he still is a little intimidating. I got to tell you, know. you, I would, when we had him on the show, uh, <laughs> Bob, Bob will tell you, we, uh, we, we asked him in the beginning to, um, to do the, the intro. Right. Yeah. And uh, and then we said, you know, hey, if you want to do a second take, you know, something, whatever, just right. like we did with you. He was like, no, no, let's just get to the interview. I'm, <laughs> I'm good. Right. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And I was no, just like, OK. Uh, yeah. So, but he's so great no. by the end, though. He, 
Yeah. Yeah. He, he warmed up at the end. He's, he's a great Oh, guy. he's, he's a, he's a, he's a incredibly, incredibly thoughtful writer and, <laughs> and, uh, just talented beyond. Uh, so however the hell he wants to pronounce his name, um, I'll, I'll back it up, but, but I, <laughs> but I, yeah, I mean, I knew him as Mark Dematis. So, I mean, you know, that's, you know, right. But whatever, too whatever, funny. whenever, whenever next time I run into him, I'll, I'll stick with maybe just Mark and let us <laughs> yeah. pass there. Play it safe. I mean, yeah. I mean, for, for, you know, for, you know, an idiot who goes around with, by DG Chichester, I'm not one to cast aspersions. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, the oh, JMs no, no. of the world. We had to call him JM. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. You know, he's yeah. got his brand and he knows what he wants to do with it. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. And listen, as a marketing guy, you know, all about branding. There you go. Yep. You got to keep it consistent. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dan, for coming on the show. We we had a, My a pleasure. pleasure learning more about your 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 career and uh, and rapid cap with you. Yeah, yeah. This was terrific, guys. Thank you very much. A lot of fun, fun conversation. Uh, really great questions. Thank you for the opportunity, and I look forward to uh, listening to the edit and uh, however you want to pronounce my name. Have <laughs> Sounds good. All right, Bob. That was a great conversation with. Dan, uh, what what a, a a true professional, true gentleman, um, and and some fun stories. It was, yeah, and some real insights too. I I really appreciate um, like the thoughtfulness of some of his answers, right? I mean, he he, he really paused and, and gave it some real thought, you know, of of what we and and some of the listeners were asking him. Uh, I really appreciate that because you know it's like a completely alien occupation to me. And, uh, you know, writing, not just comics? Writing, writing comics, but just writing in general for mm-hmm. a living. And so it's, it's really neat for me, um, you know, to, to just sort of like hear like how that actually plays out you know, mm-hmm. in somebody's life. So that's neat, you know, and I, and I really like the fact that uh, it reminded me of when we talked to you know, Paulo Rivera, um, mm. sort of the depth of the research um, that Dan um, throws, throws himself into in order to prep, you know, it's not just reading the comics that came before, but he talked about reading history books and watching documentaries and, and other films and, and really trying to steep himself in the, um, the topic material in mm-hmm. order to better grasp the characters. So, and that's, I think that's really cool. Yeah. Now a hundred percent, you know, it's so funny, just the parallels between him and, and my career, right? We, we both went to school with the idea that we were going to someday write and direct, you know, um, and then we end up getting into various things. I got in, you know, we both got into some sort of comic book career. You know, he got into to assistant editing and then editing and writing. I got into uh, promoting conventions and then owning a store and uh, things like that. And then we both left the comic book industry to get into marketing and mm-hmm. working at advertising agencies and uh, working on pharma and things like that. And, and then yet we're still, the comic industry still draws to us yeah. both dearly, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm you know, with the Facebook group and the podcast and, and, and the correct and the art, you know, and he's, he's back writing again. It's like the it's, mob. It's, it's kind of interesting, right? It's like the mob, right? Just when you think you're out, they they pull, pull you, you back, back in. in. Yeah, yeah, you can't exactly. ever escape that orbit. So. Yeah, exactly. Oh, we're, and we're the better for it. 
No, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, we can't wait to, to check out uh, Dan's new work uh, and, and see what he's got going. Um, would love to, you know, to see, you know, he, he talked about the different genres, uh, you know, uh, and, and here we are, you know, he's trying something new. Yeah. Uh, I respect that. I totally respect that. And uh, I wish him the best of luck and I hope people check it out. Yeah. I like that. What he said that, uh, and I'm not, I'm not sure any of us, well, not most of us anyway. Um, when he said when it, you know, when it stops, well, I can't remember the exact wording, but you know, basically a paraphrasing here when it stops being interesting and exciting and, and you start phoning it in. Yeah. When you start phoning in, it's time to move on and mm -hmm. try something different. And you know, I, I, you know, maybe some of us can't always do that, or we don't have the courage to do that. But it's nice to hear people uh, remind us about the, the the world of possibilities out there, and, and just trying new things, and trying to be authentic to oneself, and you know, one's aspirations. Yep, I agree, hundred percent. All right, so come back next episode. We are going to we are in part six, Bob. Part six of the Castaway in Dimension Z, uh, that has been ramping up, getting riveting. Um, the the Rick Remender and John Remender Jr. and and Klaus Jensen, who who uh, Chichester was talking about earlier to, in this episode, um, they uh, they are ramping it up. This story is getting incredibly interesting uh, and exciting, and, and quite frankly, impactful. You know, as far as mm -hmm. long lasting into the, the Steve Rogers, Captain America mythos. Yeah. I'm looking forward to diving back in. It's, it's uh, it feels like a long pause in between our revisits to dimension Z's. So yeah. I, I find myself getting uh, antsy now. Um, yeah. To, to yeah. Jump back in. Well, we only have three parts left, so mm -hmm. yeah. And, and, and we only have three intros to you left where I uh, have to tie it in with the letter <laughs> Z. What do you think right. it's going to be next time, Bob? Uh, can tell who can tell yeah, who can yeah. Tell? come back come back yeah. episode 145 and find out yeah. all right everybody he's bob lucius i'm rick verbonis you have been listening to another episode of the captain america comic book fans podcast